invite, if you will, to take a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15. You know, we gain a lot through corporate worship. And one of the things that we gain is that we remind ourselves that we're part of a, a family. Young and old, everything in between. Kelly, you'll be happy to know when we were singing the Baptist romp, ring the bells of heaven, there are plenty of saints out there who did not have to look at the words. <clears throat> and it was indeed a beautiful song. And then we, we have those folks, and then we also have these beautiful kids that come down for the children's sermon um, that remind us that, that really we, we're at our best when all of us are participating and involved in the life of our church. And so thank you for being here and participating this morning. We're in a sermon series on parables of Jesus, and we've been walking through um, parables in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And I made the comment last week in the sermon that I really do think that, that Jesus came in part through his teaching ministry to renew and revive us and our understanding of who God is and who he calls us to be, that you and I, over time, lose sight of the good news of the gospel and all the implications it has for us. And so Jesus reminds us in these stories that get our minds and hearts moving of, of places where we need to be reformed. And so it's certainly the case here in Luke chapter 15. I want you to listen carefully. Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but, but for me, one of the most frustrating things about being human is that I lose things. I lose things. Just this past week, I had been exercising down in the weight room at the church, and I had my earphones to listen to music or podcasts or whatever while I was exercising. And somehow, I, I still don't know, I guess I could go back and look at the video footage in the CLC and figure out exactly how I lost them or where I lost them, but they were there. But I couldn't find them, and I looked in all the usual places, and of course, I no luck. And I came out of a meeting, and I mentioned it to someone. They said, oh, Renee, Renee just brought some headphones from the CLC. And I went out there, and sure enough, they were mine. And there was joy. You know, not that they're the most expensive headphones ever, not that they would be um, impossible for me to replace. But anytime you lose something that you care about or that you value when you find it, you can't help but what? Rejoice. And it happens more than I would like to admit that I lose things. 
Sometimes I lose my sunglasses in the car. There's a part of your car that some refer to as the black hole, where everything seems to find its way down in that thing. And, you know, over time, I think, well, maybe they're down there, and, and I find them. Sunglasses and earphones and, you know, we could go on and on of the things that we lose. A lot of them are inconsequential, but some of them are really, really important to us. And when we, when we find them, we are filled with, with joy. Jesus, when he comes into the world, he comes into a world that is very much divided by these lines of who's in and who's out. He comes into a world that's divided by these are the good people, these are the righteous people, these are the sinners, these are the other kind of people, not like us. And he comes into that world and he especially takes aim at the religious people. The religious people, those who are morally upright, upstanding citizens who maybe are doing their duty and everything correctly. And they're doing it, and they've done it for so long that they've forgotten their story. That they think that their relationship with God is dependent upon their righteousness and their moral rectitude, and that everything that they have is somehow something that they earn. Jesus comes into that world, and both through his actions and his teaching, he starts spending time with people that others were offended to be around. Jesus starts pursuing relationship with the people that Luke refers to here in our passage as the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors, you know, the, the traitors who are working for the Romans to take the taxes and maybe taking a little bit extra for themselves along the way. And then this general category of sinners, people that all the religious elite thought were beyond the bounds of God's grace and mercy. And he's not just teaching them, he's not just passing by them in the marketplace, but he is sitting down at the table and he is eating with them. A level of relationship and a level of acceptance of these people that, that really offended the religious people of his day. You and I can relate to that, to sit down and enjoy a meal with someone, especially if you're in their home, is, a, is another level of relational intimacy, is it not? If you're here and you've been to my house and you've eaten at my table, you probably feel like you know me better than those of you who haven't. You only know a, a, a version of me. We, we picked everything up before you came. And maybe got out the nice napkins before you showed up. You know a version of me. But that, we relate to that. That when we go into someone's house, there's a certain amount of relationship and intimacy that they're sharing and inviting us into. And Jesus did that with the people that everybody else who were part of the religious establishment wouldn't have dared spend time with them. And it causes them to grumble. To grumble. I'm here to tell you this morning that there are a few things that will steal the joy in your life more than a sense of self-righteousness. 
there are a few things that will steal the joy from your life more than a sense of, of self-righteousness. That you think that you are something. And that you think that the things that you enjoy in this life are somehow owed to you because of who you are or what you've done or what you've accumulated. And all of us have, have felt those feelings at one point or another in our lives, haven't we? Take for granted things that are all a gift of God's grace and mercy. We start acting as if we deserve those things. And, and maybe even when others are invited in to participate and enjoy those things, there's a sense of, what are they doing in here? They don't deserve this. They haven't earned this. This isn't a part of what God's extended to them. And so the Pharisees and the scribes who worked hard to be religious elites are really offended that Jesus is spending time with these tax collectors and sinners. Now, I take comfort from the fact that, that the world has always been this way in some regards. You and I think that the world is uh, the worst it's ever been for, for our time and day. But it's really always been divided and hard. It always has been. There's a guy I like to read his books, Alan Jacobs. He's at Baylor. He wrote a book uh, not that long ago, long ago called How to Think. How to Think. And he says that we are, as humans, prone to divide everyone into categories. There's the good people like us and the bad people like them. And he uses this term, this phrase, the morally repugnant other. The morally repugnant other. And it doesn't matter if you're on the right or if you're on the left. Each of those groups has morally repugnant other feelings for the others. And those of us who are enlightened enough to be in the middle, we feel the same way about both those on the right and the left. There's always that other group that we just kind of vilify and put into categories. And Jesus comes into that world, and when he's aware of the grumbling of the religious elite, he tells a story. And by this point, hopefully you're fastening your seatbelt when you're getting ready to listen to Jesus tell a story. He tells a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. Now, of course, the religious elite would not have been shepherds, friends. So I think it's a little bit of poetic justice as Jesus talks about them imagining themselves as shepherds. They would have been outcast on the margins, an unclean kind of job. Suppose one of you is a shepherd and you have 99 sheep out in the open field and there's one who's gone astray. Which of you would not leave the 99 and go find that one sheep? Now, you're going to see in Luke 15, and I, I had not noticed this, but a commentator pointed it out to me this week, and it, and it really kind of helped me think about the whole chapter differently. We're going to go from 100 to 10 to how many? Two. You've got 100 sheep. You lose one. This shepherd maybe seemed unwise. Maybe it seemed crazy. Maybe he had other shepherds who were watching over the 99. We don't know all the details. There's enough value for him that there was one out there, and he went and he searched for it. 
And he picked it up and he put it on his shoulders when he found it rejoicing and he went back. And, and probably in a way that may seem crazy, he called in his friends and threw a party. Imagine if I had called you this week and I said, hey, we're having a party at the church. What happened? I found my headphones. Right? Like, man, he must have loved those headphones, right? He calls everybody in for a party. His joy has overflowed at founding this one lost sheep. And then he says, just so, in the same way, I tell you that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents more than the 99 who are righteous, who need no repentance. And here's the thing, those people don't exist. That's part of Jesus' point in telling the story. There are no people who are so righteous that they don't need to repent. But there are some of us and probably all of us at different times in our lives that we think we're in that category. We think we are the righteous people who have no need to repent and that all the things that God graciously gives us, we somehow deserve or have earned. But those people can't experience the joy of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they don't think that they need Jesus. Then he tells a story of a woman who had ten silver coins. Hundred, ten. So if you lose one of a hundred things, it's somewhat valuable. But if you lose one of ten things, the percentage has gone up, correct? She lost one of her silver coins. And so what did she do? She lit a lamp and she swept the house. She was determined that she was going to find that coin that she had lost. And when she found it, what did she do? Called together the neighbors and threw a party. Rejoice with me for the thing that I lost has been found. Just so there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then there's the parable of the prodigal son that you and I have likely become so accustomed to and so familiar with. But we're, we're narrowing it down. We're going from 100 sheep to 10 silver coins to how many sons? We're increasing in value, are we not? It's not just a sheep who strayed. It's not just the coin that you lost, but it's, it's your son. And the younger son comes and he says, Father, I, can I go ahead and have my inheritance now? Um, you look kind of healthy. I don't know when this is going to be over. I like to go ahead and have it now to experience it and enjoy it while I'm young. And Father gives it to him. And he goes out to the far country and he spends it on all kinds of wild living. He was, he was celebrating in places not with Baptist romps, Kelly, but with other kind of romps going on. Partying and celebrating, doing all the things that the world had to offer. Eventually it all dried up. Eventually it all dried up. And if being a shepherd was a lowly thought, he found himself taking care of pigs. Unclean animals, and he was starving. 
And he was so hungry that he saw what the pigs were eating, and it looked good to him. And then Jesus says what happens. He came to his senses, didn't he? He came to his senses and he said, wait a minute. The servants in my father's house eat better than this. Maybe, maybe if I go back, he'll be kind enough to treat me like a servant. Maybe, maybe he will forgive me and be kind enough to treat me like a servant. And so he goes home. How do you think he felt on his way home? How do you think he felt when he was on his way home? Full of shame? Probably. Probably disgusted at himself. Probably wondering how he could be so foolish just to run out and do all the things and waste all the inheritance. Probably expected a, a lecture. Those of you who are parents, you know that lecture. You've given that lecture before. Right? Ready just to kind of drop the law. Told you so. You should have done this. How could you be so crazy? What were you thinking? You brought shame on the family. You've cost us a lot of money. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But what does the father do? waiting, isn't he? He's watching. When he sees his son coming down the road, picture one of your children, if you have them, coming down the road. And in his joy, in his joy that his son has come home, he runs. He runs out and he grabs him. And the son's going on and on already about the things he did wrong and, and, and probably trying to repent. And the, and the father doesn't even pay attention to it. Instead, he throws a what? Party. If you're going to rejoice over the lost sheep that came home, if you're gonna, that you found, if you're going to rejoice over the little coin that you found, well, good heavens, surely you're going to throw a party over the son that was lost. The father would even say that he was dead and he's now alive. And he's come back home and they are going to throw a party. And he orders the road to be brought. He orders the fattened calf to be slaughtered. And the party is its own. I can, I can only kind of maybe um, compare it to a really good wedding reception. You been to one of those? Always kind of size up the band first. That's what I'm looking at at a wedding reception. This is going to be a good party. Look at that band. It's going to be good. There's food everywhere. Only a couple people are paying for this. The rest of us are just enjoying it. Right? We're eating and drinking and merry. We're, we're, we're celebrating what's happened. I can only imagine that that's kind of the scene that the older brother encountered. The older brother who did it right. Older brother who stayed home. Probably bore more of the load. 
because this young little kid ran off. You probably have better words than that if you're the older brother, not church words. And he ran off and did all the stuff, and he comes in, and he's like, what's the party for? Why, why are we celebrating? And the servant says, your brother, your brother's home. Your brother's home. But how did he, how did he respond? He wouldn't go in and eat with those people, would he? He wasn't going in there to eat. You almost feel like the older brother felt like everybody in there celebrating at that moment was almost, maybe that was his morally repugnant other at the moment. How could they? How could they go in there and celebrate after all this kid had done, after all that he had wasted, after all the shame? And the father comes out and pleads with the older brother. And that, that conversation is one that, that just kind of sticks with us. Pick it up in verse 28. Older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when who? This son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and was found. Self-righteous brother, he couldn't celebrate. There was no joy for him in this moment. All he could think about was that younger brother getting what he deserved finally, and the father was gracious and merciful to him instead. Nothing will suck the joy out of your life more than self-righteousness. And of course, Jesus is telling these stories so that scribes and the Pharisees might see themselves, that they're the older brothers, that they're the ones that can't see the grace and the mercy that has come to them in the person of Jesus as the kingdom of God is advancing. They can't see that all along the way, if God had given his people what they deserved, it would have been judgment, been punishment, but he continues to seek them in their lostness. He continues to celebrate when they turn to him. And the story is a reminder that that should be our heart posture as well. Every person in this room is a sinner for whom Christ came into the world to die. And the benefits that we experience through our relationship with Jesus come to us through God's grace and his mercy and his kindness. All of heaven rejoices when you and I repent and come to our senses and turn to him. And Jesus is 
just challenging us to, to know our story and the good news of the gospel and then to, to live in a way that is the only appropriate response for those who've received grace and mercy. To rejoice at everybody who comes to their senses, at everybody who stops running away from God and turns toward him, and we rejoice we join with heaven and we rejoice even over one sinner who repents because those people, even the people that you might have in your mind as being the worst off people, are people who are made in God's image, people who God loves so much that Sharon reminded us in the children's sermon that he sent his son into the world that they may have eternal life in him. So I'm praying for you and I'm praying for me increasingly that, that we are humble, gracious, kind people, that we're known in the community as the people who throw parties, who are filled with so much joy at God's grace and kindness that comes to us, even when we don't deserve it, and you and I are the kind of people that run after those kind of people. Wherever it is that we find them, wherever it is that God crosses paths, allows us to cross paths with them, that we, we're not haughty, we're not prideful, we don't think we're better than anybody else, but we're astounded at God's grace, we're astounded at his mercy, and we extend those same things to all who will call upon Jesus in faith. I'd like to pray with me. Lord, forgive us of our self-righteousness when it happens. Forgive us when it, when it lurks up into our hearts and it, and it doesn't allow us to, to see everything that you extend to us as an expression of your kindness and grace and mercy as things that we don't deserve, but you're so gracious to give. Allow that to fill our hearts with joy. And then, Lord, help us to see everybody that we encounter as those who are Deserving of your grace and kindness, those for whom our Savior came into the world to save. Lord, you are, you're so free of your grace and kindness and mercy. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be those kinds of people. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. If you're here today and you've never publicly professed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you think that um, you're not good enough, well, the story this morning is a reminder that none of us is. That's why it's called grace and mercy. And if you feel led to make a public profession of faith in Christ, we invite you to do so. If you're looking for a church family where we want to we wrestle with these things and we want our joy to be most fully rooted in what God's done for us in Jesus, then we invite you to come and be a part of what God's doing here. However God's leading you to respond, I invite you to do so as we stand and sing.